Welcome to Lighthouse Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged with today's message. Welcome to church. I'm glad you're here. I'm concluding my series today on the armor of God, and I've got a couple other interesting series coming up that the Lord has been speaking to me about, so I'm excited about those. But today I'm basically going to be covering all the armor of God. Very basic, very uh, probably elementary in many ways, but I think very profound. If you need to know how to defeat the enemy, if you need to know how to stand, if you need to know how to withstand the demonic forces against us, this message is for you. Because this is what Paul said is how we stand. And so one last time, if you would with me, Ephesians chapter 6, if you would turn to your Bibles, he goes, finally, he's strong in the Lord. As I preached the first week, the first thing you need to do is to be strong in the Lord and in whose power? His power. The power of his might that's inside of us. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. And then he proceeds to tell us some other things before he gets into that. Why do you put on the whole armor of God? That you may be able to what? Stand against schemes of the devil. How many people know that the devil doesn't come to you face to face? He's scheming. He does things in the darkness. He sets you up. Uh, Dustin this morning was talking about, in the Sunday school class, talking about um, the devil, basically, in so many words I'm paraphrasing, but the devil always attacks your weak spots. He knows where your weaknesses are. That's why we need to make them strengths. That's why we need to rely on the grace of the Lord. And that's why our system just restarted. That's awesome. For do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So Paul is very direct, very direct of what's taking place. He's saying, listen, you don't wrestle against other people. Even though people annoy you, even though there might be times I annoy you, keep your hands down. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. It's not against flesh and blood. As much as people might step on your toes, it's not ever people that we battle against. Who we're battling against is the spirit behind it. Even in this government, it's the spirit. It's the spirit of Antichrist. It's the lawlessness spirit that has been unleashed. The Bible's very clear about it, okay? So we don't battle against other people, but we battle against, catch this people, rulers, right? Authorities in high place over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't care if you don't think much about this. I don't care if you do not like thinking about this. I don't care if you don't believe there is a devil. It doesn't matter to me. He is real, and he believes in you, and he's coming against you spiritually. And so you need to know as a Christian how to stand, or if you don't know how to stand, what's going to happen? You're going to get run over. How many people have ever been run over in their lives? I have, man. It's, it, I tell you what, and it, sometimes in my walk, it doesn't take a Mack truck. It takes a little car, a Prius, depending on how strong I am in the Lord, right? Therefore, he says again, this is important. He says it again. Take up the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Another version says, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when the enemy comes against you. Listen, he's not a respecter of persons. He will come against anybody, especially anybody that is starting to make grounds, make, make, take, or make or take ground in his kingdom. So anybody that is serious about the Lord. Then here it is. Ready? This is the question. Here it is. He starts breaking it down. Verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The first thing. Secondly, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts 
of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we welcome you into this place. Again, we know you're already here, but we ask that you would come and manifest yourself here, that we would receive your word with the anointing. We would receive your word, and it wouldn't be word, the, the seed that falls upon the ground and the enemy steals, but it would actually grow in abundance. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place to do what you want to do, do whatever you want to do, through whoever you want to do, however you want to do it. We pray that this word would bring, would equip and bring the people to the place where they could stand and stand strong. In a very unnerving time, best way to put it, that we would have such confidence in our God. Bless this time. Bless this time. This is a holy time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let us never take advantage or take for granted this. Some of you are going to be tempted to fall asleep this morning. Some of you are going to get tired. Some of you are going to, you know, I've done this so many times. I've heard this message sort of before. So don't take it for granted because as quickly as we have it, it could be taken from us, believe it or not. Just tune in as best as you can. Amen. This is a beautiful set of scripture. I always love how Paul writes because Paul always uses metaphors to further explain truth. So with the armor of God, he's basically telling his people, telling his disciples, telling those churches how to stand against the enemy, but he's using this beautiful illustration so that they could easily understand it. Why? Because they were surrounded and interacted with Roman soldiers on a daily basis. So he used the armor, the imagery, if I could say it that way, so they could recognize and associate each item easily and would then understand it. So it's not a mistake which item he used for which thing, and I'm going to explain that a little bit this morning, because each thing had so much power in and of itself, and so it would have been very easy for them to understand it. So let's get right into it, because I've got six, I believe, six items to cover. The first one is the belt of truth, the belt of truth. It's found in verse 14. I'll say it again. Stand for, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Fastened on the belt of truth. The Roman soldier, they all wore belts, right? And what the belts basically did at that time, it is not like today, just hold your pants up, come on. The belt, or a woman, it was accessory. No, it was actually something that held the tunic and everything together. It wrapped everything together. It held it together. Listen, truth keeps everything in our lives in order. Without truth, chaos and disorder comes. Look at the world. When we don't know absolute truth, when we don't know what the Bible says, when we don't stand upon what the Bible says, chaos comes and ensues. It's very simple. So truth keeps everything in order. Just like the belt kept everything in order on that Roman guard, people would have understood that. The disciples would have said, yeah, that belt keeps everything tucked in, everything where it's supposed to be, right? Truth keeps our hearts settled. With all the lies trying to invade your thoughts, with all that the world is um, perpetuating, even into the church, into our thought process, trying to get us compromised, the truth keeps everything grounded. Can I say it that way, right? It keeps our hearts settled. With all the lies trying to invade your thoughts, truth puts them in their place. See, this is the greatest battle you'll ever face. I'm convinced of it. I've done this thing for 35 years, over 35 years, this thing called Christianity. And the number one battle you'll have is not against, say, face-to-face with the enemy. It'll be the thoughts that he puts in your head and whether you determine to listen to them or not. Because if you listen to them, chaos ensues. The belt also held the sword 
for the Roman soldier. So our spiritual swords, which I will mention later on, is only as powerful, sharp as our understanding of the truth. If you don't have the truth wrapped around, if you don't have things in order, you might as well not even try to use the sword because the sword's not going to be anywhere found. It's important to get that. Very simple. The Bible says in uh, John 8, 44, it says that Satan is the father of lies. Lies are defeated, how? By truth. So the very first thing he mentions, and it seems like in some ways a little different, but the very first thing he mentions is you have to have the belt of truth, the thing that brings everything together, the thing that keeps everything, this is important, get this, in order. You ever feel like your life is getting disordered or out of order? If you ever feel like you're becoming chaotic in your mind and in your life, go back to truth. And I tell you how many times when I start feeling discouraged or depressed or, or even get a little emotional or whatever, what do I do? I have to go back to the word because the word settles me because it's truth. How many people know your emotions aren't truth? Come on. Your emotions should not be leading you. Truth settles it. Number two, breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14 again, we are told to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate shielded a warrior's vital organs, right, from blows that otherwise would be fatal. So in other words, the, the internal organs right here, that breastplate, protected them. The righteousness, listen, I love this. The righteousness is not works of a righteous man. It's not what we do, but it's righteousness is what right standing with God. It's what Jesus did for us. Because of what Jesus did for us, we are protected, or we can be protected, our vital organs organs can be protected. It's the righteousness of Christ given by God and received by faith. As Christians, believers this morning, our hearts are protected. It says they'll guide our hearts, our hearts and our minds, right? Against the accusations of Satan and secures our innermost being from his attacks. The righteousness of God. Why is this important? You need to get this. Because it's not what you do. If your righteousness is based upon your works, then it's no righteousness at all. It's your righteousness, and that's easily be dismissed. Why? Because when you fall, he can accuse you, and you realize you're not righteous. But when your righteousness is based upon the fact of what Jesus did for you, guess what happens? Every time you fall, you point to Jesus. And he starts bringing you. The Bible says, therefore, there's no condemnation, Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation. Why? Because it's his righteousness that makes us righteous. It's his acts that makes us righteous. It's not ours. So we have to understand when we put on that breastplate of righteousness that protects our heart from accusation, from condemnation, come on, from guilt and shame, it's his acts that did it, not ours. You're going to mess up, and you're going to mess up big. Come on, somebody. Let's join the mess-up club. Let's start one this morning. Who wants to be the president? Who wants to be the treasurer, the secretary? Come on. They're, everybody's going to mess up, but that's the beautiful thing about the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ. What he gave us, righteous-wise, it's nothing to do with us. And so when the accusations start flying, when the arrows start being shot of guilt and condemnation, guess what happens? They deflect off of us because we're protected, or at least we're supposed to be protected, by the breastplate 
of righteousness. This is the problem when you don't understand the grace of God and you don't understand the righteousness of Jesus and what he's done for us, the righteousness of God. When we don't understand that, it's easy for the enemy to bring you down. First thing that happens, the belt of truth. He starts attacking you with lies and you start believing it. The second thing, he starts bringing condemnation and guilt in your life. And next thing you know, you're bowing down. You're thinking less of yourself. You're not living for the Lord no more. And you start partaking back into the things that you walked away from. Can I say it this way? The vomit. That's what the Bible says. All because you don't understand what he's done for you, what he's given you. That's truly, all this is is symbolic. But it's supposed to bring out some of the, can I say it this way? The armor of God, if nothing else, is just some of the greatest truths in Scripture accumulated into one thing. And that's how we stand against the devil. People are like, well, I put on the armor of God every day. I understand that. That's, that's a little quirky to me. The fact is you should just be standing in it every single day. Because if you're standing in it every day, then you have the armor of God on. It's not like you literally put, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. No, you already are righteous because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And the day that you accepted him as Savior, you became righteous. Amen. You see, when we rely on our feelings, when our hearts get exposed, can you hear this? We do really stupid things. Can we start a secondary club called Stupid Things Club? Who would be able to easily join that club? Listen, when our, listen, catch this. When we don't understand the righteousness of God, we don't understand that he filled the place for us. We should have been on that cross, but he took the place for us. When we don't understand that, what happens is our hearts are exposed. Please, somebody catch this. And we can easily become polluted, poisoned, offended, angered, bitter, hurt. Can I tell you somebody that totally understands the armor and and understands their position in Christ? You are unoffendable. Truly, no one can ever offend you. Why? Because your heart is protected. It's only when you let your guard down, when you expose yourself to the enemy, that bitterness, anger, resentment comes. Jealousy. How do I know this? How many people know I've been called almost every name in the book? Right? As a pastor, that's, you know, my wife said it. I couldn't believe she said it. But the, the, the woman in our house burnt, uh, the state police fire inspector came from Wilkesbury, Scranton. He walks up and he goes, do you have any enemies? And my wife literally goes, what are you talking about? We're pastors. We have lots of enemies. I'm like, I didn't know that. Thank you for letting me know that, honey. <laughs> I was like, and he kind of looked at us like, what you, oh, oh, I get it. Okay, I get it, right? But you know, the, the, the truth is, you know, they say sticks and stones break my bones. With the truth is, yeah, it does hurt. But the reality is when you know who you are in Christ, those things should not impact you long term. They might tinge a little bit when someone says something. But ultimately, if you know what God says about you, what the truth is, what God says about you, you're standing in him. They can fire off all they want and they're just going back, back bounce right off of you because you realize Their words don't impact who you are because this is what God says I am. This is what Jesus says. This is what the word of God declares over me. If you're easily offendable, then I'm questioning whether you have ever understood your position in Christ, that you're righteous, you're standing in Christ. I love this. How does Paul describe three or four times before he gets into the armor? What does he say three or four times? He goes, stand, stand, stand. You know what he's saying? Position. Your position. Your position. I don't have time to sit on this, but I'm going to because I think it's so important. The church is being demolished by the lies 
of the devil. Not good enough. I don't know how we could do this, but can you imagine if we took inventory just one day, how many thoughts that came into our minds that were not biblical? I don't know, Teresa, 100? For some people, probably more. All day long. You're not a good enough father. You're not a good enough mother. Your kids are going to go this. Your kids are doing this. Where did you mess up? See, how, can, I, can I say something to you? I'm going to say something to you. I'm going to get real and raw with you this morning. Usually how I know it's the enemy, first of all, if it's anti-biblical, but sometimes he's pretty sneaky because he can quote scripture. He just takes it out. But, but usually how I know it's him, write this down if you're taking notes, because he's always referring to your past. How do you know when it's the voice of the enemy? Because usually what he does is tries to point to a failure in your past and tries to get you to bring it to your present in your future. Oh, you're not. You weren't a good enough parent, so your kid is going to be. Oh, I used to do this. And you live in fear that that thing's going to come back. Last I heard, when you became a Christian, the old man is dead. D-E-A-D. Dead. Does that make sense? Your heart is supposed to be dead to accusation. Knowing, knowing that I stand righteous because of what Christ did for me allows me to be protected from attacks that are lies that say things contrary to that. Would you quit allowing the enemy to bring up your past? Number three, feet prepared I like this. The actual the scripture says it this way, and I want to read it to you. It says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Some of you are like, what does that mean? I'm going to share to you what it means for me. It means feet prepared for conflict. How many people know you go out there and start spreading the gospel, you're going to run into a wall once in a while? Probably quite often. It speaks to feet that are prepared for spiritual conflict. When Paul talks about fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace, he is, again, picture, having them picture the Roman soldier. Catch this. The Roman soldier typically wore a half boot with toes uncovered and spikes coming out of the soles. The boots allowed the soldier ready to be ready to march, to climb, to fight, or do whatever else is necessary. If I was going to go on a hike and I was going to wear these shoes, it would probably end in disaster. Anyway, just wearing any shoes for me on a hike would end up in disaster. But if I especially wore these, they don't have much tread, it's going to ask for a disaster. If you wear patent leathers out in the snow, you're probably going to fall. So the Romans had feet, had, had shoes that they used that could allow them to do whatever maneuver they needed to do to protect themselves and to advance. Come on, somebody. So it's not just wearing these cute little shoes. Oh, I had the gospel of peace I'm going to preach. No, it's shoes prepared for the conflict you're going to face out there. The spikes specifically helped when they were hiking or on slippery surfaces. How many people know when you get outside these doors, you're going to be on some slippery surfaces? Without the right shoes, the soldier's feet were prone to blisters, cuts, and other problems, which put them at a disadvantage in battle. There's nothing, nothing worse than wearing a pair of shoes that don't fit. Nothing worse. In warfare, the enemy, please catch this, will place dangerous obstacles in the path of advancing soldiers. We are soldiers of the kingdom, people. 
The idea of the preparation of the gospel of peace as footwear suggests that we need to advance into Satan's territory with the right shoes. Why? We're aware, come on, we're aware that there's going to be traps, there's going to be obstacles, the schemes of the enemy that are set up to thwart the message of the gospel. Is anybody getting this this morning? So you prepare yourself with the right footwear. Psalm 119, 105 says what? What does he do? He says the word is what? Of God is a lamp before our feet and a light unto our path. We're prepared. The scheme should never, ever, ever totally surprise us. We should be prepared. In other words, God's word or the readiness to spread God's word will expose any traps set for us. His word lights our way. Come on, you got to get that. Are you wearing the right shoes? Number four, the shield of faith. The Greek word, therios, which is translated shield here, it referred to a large shield. I love this. It was a large shield about two and a half feet wide by four and a half feet high. So this, it's a big shield. Catch this, ready? It was designed to protect the entire body of the soldier. <laughs> is anybody getting this? The shield of faith. What is the central core theme to the gospel? Faith. And when he was talking about, he called, again, symbolism. Beautiful. Paul did a wonderful job. He goes, you know what? I'm going to use the shield of faith. I'm going to call faith a shield because they would have really understood. You ever see those movies? They try to depict it where they're able to stand behind the shield and all the arrows hit. They can't get them. Completely covered the entire body. The shield was like a door made of solid wood and covered with metal or leather. It was often, ready, get this. This is historically correct. It was often dipped in water to extinguish the fiery arrows of the enemy. Get that? Because it talks about it was able to extinguish the fiery arrows of the enemy. Armies, what would they do? They often wrap pieces of cloth around the arrows because, listen, if you just shoot an arrow, you have a pretty small chance of hitting somebody. But if you shoot an arrow that's wrapped in cloth, set on fire, has tar on it, guess what happens? When it hits, it kind of like explodes like a bomb and it spreads. You get this. So what they did is they had these shields that were big enough to protect them, and every soldier had it. So when the, when the arrows came, they were able to hide behind it. It would hit the, the, the soaked wood and immediately go out. Guess what your faith does? Puts the arrows out. Protects you. Protects you. What is your faith? Faith is trusting and believing in God above everything else. Can I tell you there's a reality that happens in this world every day. People get sick. You have people that don't like you. All these different things, there's a reality. Then there's another reality that we believe that God is able to come into situations. Amen? That's the reality that we as Christians, that's called faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's that anchor the evidence of things not seen. It's the belief that he's able. But I want to tell you right now, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm not trying to be hurtful. Yes, I am, because I don't care. The fact is most Christians rarely ever use their faith. If I was to ask you, when was the last time you used your faith? I mean, really used your faith? Most of you would, most of you would say, I, I don't know. Because faith, come on, faith equals risk. It's putting yourself out there. Every time you witness to somebody, that takes a level of faith, right? Because you could be denied. People could laugh at you, make fun of you, mock you. But how many times are we actually using our faith, believing, trusting in God? Usually we use our faith for a little bit, then we get frustrated when it doesn't happen the way we want it to happen. 
Because this is typically what happens. When we go to believe for something, we say, okay, we're believing for this, and then we write down exactly how God is supposed to do it. <laughs> Come on. And the timing, the length of time it's supposed to take. And if it doesn't happen within your light, nice, cute, neat, two-week window, oh my God, he doesn't love me. The shield of faith is nothing more than our trust in God. Ready? Here it is. To work all things together for good. To them, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Can I tell you what faith is? I have faith to believe that when my house burnt, that God was going to work it all together. That's faith. I would like to say faith would keep my house from burning. I don't know. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no clue it happened. But I, after it happened and after I kind of brought myself back together after the emotional couple of days, I sat there and said, you know what? I have faith to believe that God, and I actually had some people say to me that I believe God's going to work this thing out for your benefit. That's faith. Faith is not denying things happen because we've experienced death. We experience all kinds of crazy things all the time. But faith is believing that God's going to work it all out for your benefit. Somehow, some way, it's going to work for those that are called, that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's believers. Helmet of salvation. Number five, helmet of salvation. Ready? We're almost done. Two more. In warfare, the first place that the enemy tried to attack was always what? The head, okay? It was common for the enemy to try to smash, hit, hit him in the head. Why? Because someone dazed wasn't able to respond to the conflict. To harm the head was to gain an advantage in combat. It's one of the things I, it's one of the things I despise. I hate, I've been under the weather for a week or two, and I've been just, you guys have been praying for me, keep praying, I'm getting, I'm coming out of it. But one of the things I despise is having like colds and sore throats and sinuses and stuff because it just, when it affects your head, it affects the rest of your body. It's like I can almost handle like my arm aching. Like I dislocated my shoulder and separated it several times. I could handle that better even though there was more pain than having like head issues. Why? Because when you have head issues, it just destroys, like it just ruins your whole day. Pain, you're just kind of like, oh, it's pain. I got to deal with it. Oh, it stinks. But when it hits your head, you're just kind of like useless. You ever watch fighting or boxing and someone takes a shot to the head? They're done. Doesn't matter how big their muscles are, how big their arms are. Doesn't matter what kind of stamina. Doesn't matter how long they worked in the gym. It doesn't even matter if they are superior to their enemy. But if they take a shot that stuns them, they're done. So that's what would happen in battle. They'd immediately try to stun the enemy. And it's exactly what Satan does the same. He wants us to be, I'm telling you, I'm speaking to someone, to be in confusion about your life. What does the helmet of salvation represent? The helmet of salvation first represents our assurance of salvation. I love this. Can you see how everything almost, can I, can I say it this way? How almost everything that I'm preaching on this morning goes back to our thoughts. Almost everything from the belt of truth, every breath, breastplate, righteousness, all the way through. Everything goes back to protecting our thoughts because as you think, so you are. Some of you curse yourselves. It's Monday morning. Oh, this day is going to stink. Can't stand this week. Good luck, people. Have a miserable week. Enjoy it. Monday morning. I hate Monday morning. So guess what? It's going to hate you too. Now, I'm not asking you to be obnoxious like some of you people that get up in the morning at 530 and go, oh, this is a beautiful day, and everybody rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. That's over the top. But I want to tell you, 
the helmet of salvation, again, the salvation, our salvation is to protect us. It's, the, it's protecting the mind, the thoughts, the evil things that can be put in, into our hearts and our minds by the enemy. It's protecting us to know that we know that we know that we know that we're saved and that we're gods. We are gods. I'm not a child of the enemy anymore. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And then and, and salvation, I think... If you've been in Christianity for a while, you've, you've run into this before where people are unsure if they're going to go to heaven, yet they've gone to church for a long time. And I, I sit there and I'm like, that should never be the case. When you get saved, you should know that you know that you know, no matter how sometimes you mess up, that you know that you know that you know. Now, I'm not saying I'm not a Calvinist that believes one saved, always saved. I believe you can walk away from the Lord. And there's a point, the Bible says, where your name is written or, you know, erased from the book of, of life, which is eternity. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe in one saved, always saved. I don't believe that. But I believe it's awfully hard to get there, that our God is loving and enduring, slow to anger and rich in love. I believe that's God. And so the salvation, this this understanding of salvation, If I'm going to tell you this morning, please catch this. If you battle whether you think you're going to heaven or not, then you need to get that settled and settled now. That's called, listen, it's the helmet of salvation. It's a thing that protects it's the overriding thing that protects your mind. Because if you struggle, I'm going to tell you right now, if you struggle with knowing whether you're saved, you're going to struggle in every other area of the Bible. Every other area. Every other area. Well, I don't know if, the, if creation is true. I don't, you're going to struggle in every other area if you're sitting there every day wondering, am I going to hell? Am I going to hell? For once and all, let's get it settled. That's what salvation, the helmet of salvation is supposed to be. Last one, number six, sword of the spirit. The sword Paul refers to is not a broad sword, one of those big long swords, but it's more like a dagger, which is varied, which varied in length from six to eighteen inches. It was it was not a real large sword. It was a common sword used by Roman soldiers. And how do I know this? Because the actual Greek word that he uses when the Bible was written refers to this type of sword, just so you know, because there's two different names for two different swords. So this sword wasn't meant necessarily for long range battle. It was hand to hand combat. And it was carried in a sheath, guess what, attached to the belt. A skillful soldier used it to deflect the blows of the enemy, and the word of God must be used in this same fashion. So the sword of the spirit, most of you know this, it's common, but if you haven't heard this, listen. It's the only item, Paul lists, that's an offensive weapon. Everything else is to protect us. The sword of the spirit is meant to do damage. And what is the sword of the spirit according to Paul? The word of God. When the enemy came against Jesus in the wilderness and began to tempt him, every time he tempted him, what did Jesus use as a weapon? The word of God. It is written. I love that because the enemy will try to get engage you with your wit and your knowledge and your understanding. And all. No, just respond with the word of God. He tries to say, <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're going to get run over. You're, there's no way you're going to be able to stand. Devil, the word says, I'm more than a conqueror. Word says that if I submit myself to God and I resist you, you got to go running. So get ready to start running. It's responding. That's what the sword is, responding with the word of God. But this is what's interesting, and I'm going to end with this. This is really important. If you hear nothing else, get this. So our only offensive weapon against the enemy is the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. When he says the Greek word, word, most of the time when it's translated, there's two translations basically. There's, I think there's a third, but two most of the time. When that word is translated from the Greek 
into the English. The word used pretty much the most is logos. Logos, and you probably have heard that if you've been a Christian, that word logos. Logos means just the the knowledge of God. It's the understanding of the word of God. He doesn't use that here, which I think is very, very important. He uses the other word that is, that's used to interpret the word. It's rhema. What is the difference? Logos is the knowledge and just the understanding. It's the accumulation of facts and figures about the Bible. It's being able to quote scripture and all those things. Ramas is knowing that knowledge and then knowing how to apply it and when to apply it. It's when the word becomes alive. You ever been reading a scripture and you've read it a hundred times, but that hundred and one time it jumps off the page and speaks to you. It's when it's quickening your spirit, it comes alive. That's the rhema. It's the revelation of God. It's when God takes a scripture and puts his Holy Spirit all over it. So knowing the word of God isn't enough. It's knowing how to use it. You can have as many guns as you want. You can have as many swords and knives as you want. But if you don't know how to use it, you're, come on, you're susceptible. But blessed is the one who offensively knows how to use the word, the rhema. So what I, I'm going to put it down real easy so you understand it. I'm going to end with this. You get into a hard situation. You get into a difficult situation where you know something's coming against you. The enemy's coming against you. The rhema is getting a word from the Lord to know exactly how to attack that situation. It's not just throwing out scriptures. Do you hear me? It's sitting there meditating, going, God, what is the word for my situation? What is the word for my situation? If you're having marriage issues, what's the word for my situation? If you're having financial issues, what is the word for my situation? Can I tell you, when my kids were born, every one of them, I asked God for a word for their lives. For my grandchildren, same thing. I've asked for what is the word over my grandchildren? When I'm going through situations, what's the word you want me to When I'm preaching messages on Sunday morning, what is the word you want to give me? I can preach anything. Come on. But I'm like, what is the word you want me to preach to them this morning? Because it'll be rhema, and guess what? It will light up your hearts. I've heard so many times people come to, some, come to me after a service and says, you were preaching right to me. How'd you know? I wasn't preaching to you. It's called the rhema word of God. It's the word that is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce and divide, even into ligaments and marrow. It's the word, Hebrews 4, that says it's able to penetrate. That's the rhema word of God. The logos is just the Bible. It's, it's the word. It's great. It's, no, it's great learning, understanding, but rhema is when that word becomes alive and addresses your situation. And next thing you know, come on, you begin to overcome and overwhelm the situation because your faith is increased. You hear me? Because all the other armor becomes activated and you're able to overcome and conquer your situation because you're standing on a word that you know is a now word for you. I'm going to tell you this. This is so good. Get this. So many times I've read the same verse over and over again, and all of a sudden one morning I wake up and read that verse, and it's like it quickens in my spirit. I'm like, there's something on that today, and I see it work in my favor. That's the sword of the spirit. Like I said, you can have all this defensive or offensive equipment, but if you don't know how to use them, it's worthless. But when you're going along reading the scripture, if you saw my Bible, and I'm not saying this, listen, this is not bragging. I'm telling you I've spent, I've invested 
hours, hundreds, thousands probably of hours of reading the Bible. When I read it now, I'm reading it for more than just reading it. I'm reading it to hear what the Spirit is saying. Throughout the book of Revelation, if he's, when he's talking to the seven churches, which is covering all churches during the end times, he says, to those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. The Spirit is always speaking through his word but that's the rhema word. What is he saying for your situation? Some of you need to calm yourselves down and say, God, what is the word over my situation? What's the word over my life right now? Can I tell you for me, sometimes it's been rest. He'll just say rest. And so I'm in a season where I'm not allowed to do anything. It drives me nuts. And then there's other times he says advance. It's time. It's time to take, take, you know, to take the kingdom out there. It's go, 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 go. And then there's other times it's like just listen, wait on me. And all those scriptures are found, right? I can read the scripture in Isaiah 40 that says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, right? They shall mount up with eagles. You know, they shall walk and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, I can read that scripture in it every day and says, well, I can apply that to me. But there's a day that comes when all of a sudden I'm reading, it says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And the Lord says, I want you to wait. And it comes alive. It's activated. It's the same thing. So what's the word of God for your life? That's what I want to end with this morning. Sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon. What is the word of God over your life, and are you walking it out? For some of you, it's this. Ready? Patience. Patience for some of you. For others, it might be faithfulness, commitment. I told you this a long time ago. One of the things the Lord spoke to me, a season in my life, when I first got saved, I wasn't very faithful nor committed. I just wasn't that type of person. I just wasn't that type of person. And the Lord said, listen, until you learn how to be faithful and committed to eight people, I'll never give you 80. And it's the same progression all the way up. If you can't be faithful with the money, the Bible says that if you're not faithful with your money, then how is he ever going to give you the true riches? So you want, I, I'm not trying to be harsh here, but if you want to see miraculous things take place, be good with your money. It's a message on, unto itself. Scripture is very clear. We're not supposed to be a defeated people. But I think one of the reasons why we're defeated is we don't really truly understand how to apply the word of God in our lives. We look at the Bible and it's overwhelming. I want to tell you a story. Um, it's personal for me and I've shared a little bit about it. But... Um, it's worth sharing. My brother, my younger brother, Chris, and he wouldn't mind me telling this at all. I know he wouldn't. He, uh, he got saved the same night I did about 36, seven years ago. And we kind of went in different directions for different reasons, but I kind of got into the church rather quickly. There was people my age so that helped to pull me in. My brother really didn't have people his age, so he kind of wandered. And there'd be seasons in his life where he really served the Lord, and seasons he wouldn't. But he always had that call in his heart, and he just, it was kind of like a roller coaster ride for him in many times, just many, many seasons, for years and years and years. And I, I, this is a testimony you need to hear because this can change your life. Um, I was at his house. Our family had a family get-together on 4th of July this year. And I was down there, and I shared with him this video that I'd found where they did a study on, with 40,000 Christians. And basically the study was those that read their Bible and those that didn't. That's what the study was. And they basically found out people that read their Bible once a week, like just Sundays here, you're not going to be changed. People that read their Bibles twice a week, not going to be changed. People that read their Bibles three times a week, there starts being a little bit of a heart murmur in the sense of like just like, something's starting to happen. But the key is four times a week. Why do I believe? They don't know for sure, but the reason why I believe four times a week is important because it's a majority of the week. It's like every other day at least. Those that read their Bible four times a week, depression leaves like at 70%. You know, pornography addiction, 60% less. Sharing, sharing the gospel goes up 200%. 
Like everything under the sun that we want, all of us deal with it. We want to see change, changes when you get into the word of God. And I simply shared this in passing to a group of people at the table. Well, there's like eight of us. It hooked in my brother's jaw. And from that day, he's read his Bible every single day. He is magnificently transformed. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Never seen anything like it in my life. His music began to change. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Months and months ago, we, he bought tickets for him and I to go see ZZ Top. You might have saw it. Put them online to sell them. ZZ Top. I love ZZ Top. I grew up in the 80s. If you, you know, I, I always loved their music. It was amazing. And we, he got us tickets right in the center, right in the front, like the second row in the pit. Like we were going to be moshing, man. I'm, I'm ready for that. Yeah, I think so. You don't mosh pit at ZZ Top. You're just kind of cool. Anyway, he gets transformed and he goes, Sean, I, I don't want to go to this concert. I don't want to go anymore. I, I got to sell them. Now, if you know my brother, you know, and you know our situation, we came from poverty and, and money has always been a big thing for him. And he's, he's done a really good job. He's, he worked as a teacher for 30 years. He bought a bunch of um, rentals. So he has a bunch of rentals and he's doing financially very, very well for himself. He's, he just retired at 50 years old and he's able, you know, he's doing his rentals, but he's able to retire. And so money's always been something that's like, it's important. He, he calls me and says, Sean, I think I, I, I don't want to go. I want to sell these. I'm like, okay, try to, help, try to sell them. Now, you got to understand my brother. This is, this is rare for you to understand this. The guy offered them like $100 less than they're worth. They were worth a lot of money. I thought to myself, there's no way my brother's going to accept that. He called me up and said, I'm going to accept it. We'll take the loss. I don't want to go. To you, that might sound strange, but to me, I said, wow, this kid is changed. He called me the other day and said, Sean, I just want to tell you how many people I've invited to church that are, that are living in my rentals. I want to tell you I led three or four people to the Lord. Matter of fact, I was on vacation with my wife in the boardwalk, and I led somebody on the boardwalk to the Lord. I'm like, what? Transformation. What did he do? He started reading his Bible. He started reading his Bible. And something began to happen in him where he became hungrier and hungrier for the Lord, and all those things that used to be important have faded in the distance. Some of you are like, well, I've had an encounter with the Lord and I was, I was, I was on, the, you know, on the mountain and now I'm in the valley. Are you reading the Bible? Well, I kind of, you know, no, I don't want to hear it. Are you reading your word? See, because how it works is we eat food and we get full until we get hungry again. You read the word, what happens? You keep getting more and more and more hungry. The hunger never goes away. You actually encourage yourself to get hungrier. So I'm not afraid to say this, and I hope I step on your toes, but if you're sitting here as a lukewarm Christian this morning or you're depressed or discouraged, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, are you in the Word of God? And if you're not, I'm sorry. There's no help for you. I can't lay hands on you. Because what I'm going to do is give you another emotional experience where you'll come down and crash again because you have no foundation. Read the Bible. Sword of the Spirit. That sword will, be, will enable you to attack any situation in your life. So when depression or discouragement tries to come back, it can't come back because you have the armor on because you know the sword, the word of God. The word of God is not very popular anymore. Did you know that? Things are being changed and transformed and taken out. They're not liking certain things that are being said. Why? Because it doesn't suit their lifestyle. We're going to stand on the word of God because it's the only thing I know that transforms people, truly transforms people. I can get you all hyped up. I can preach a message like this and get you so excited and everybody's jumping and clapping, but is it really changing your life? The only thing I know that changes the, you is the word of God, and that's what I'm going to try to give you. That's what Dustin and I and everybody else in this place is going to try to give you every single week. I challenge you, I close with this, challenge you 
Start reading the Word of God, not just for two or three days. Start reading the Word of God, and I guarantee you in a few weeks, you'll come up to me and say, my life is being transformed, changed. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. For more information on our church, check out our Facebook page or our website, www.lighthousecanton.com. Have a great week.